Hey guys, thanks so much for joining us right here for the Active Church Podcast. We believe that you can tell a better story and we are so glad you are engaging with our content today. You're about to hear from one of our incredible teaching pastors and we hope that you'll be impacted by this message. Thanks again for being with us. I'd like to invite you into a human observation I've learned of raising a two-year-old. It is human nature to resist the things we can't control or don't understand. When my son, Sawyer, who's two years old right now, uh, started eating solid foods, we would put anything in front of him and he would just gobble it all up. He loved everything. And then one day, he developed these things called taste buds. And we put broccoli in front of him and he goes to take a bite, a big, nice bite. We were so proud of him and he just spits it out onto his plate. Disgusting, ruined dinner, right? But since then, we've tried different vegetables, carrots, asparagus, uh, Brussels sprouts, whatever it is, he will not eat it, especially if it's green. So he's on a strictly cheeseburger and french fry diet right now. But that's not the only thing that he's resisted. He's resisted me putting beanies on his head when it's too cold for him to go outside without one. He's got to keep his ears warm, his head warm, and he will tear it off and throw fit and request that he wear his Spider-Man hat. But he needs to keep his head warm, but he doesn't understand that yet. We don't want him to get sick, right? And right now we're going through potty training. And man, when we first sat him down on a toilet, he did everything but want to put his butt on that seat. He would clutch onto me so he didn't have to touch that toilet seat. But it's human nature to resist to things. And it doesn't change as we get older because we just get comfortable with the things that are new eventually, but we begin to resist the things as they come. And as we get new information, we want to resist things that aren't comfortable to us, things that we don't understand. And that these things that we do get comfortable with, they become our world view. And our world view helps us make sense of the world. That's why we want to resist against things that are new and different to us and things we don't understand because they don't make sense to us or they don't make sense to us yet. But our worldview is is a conglomeration of three different things. It's our life experiences, the things that we've experienced as we grow up. It's the things that we're taught by authority figures, parents, teachers, people that we respect. And where we live influences that worldview. And the reason why that is so important is because our worldview also affects our view of God. And our view of God is reflected in our prayer life. And sometimes when our worldview can cloud our prayer life and it can cloud our view of God because our prayer life is a direct reflection of our view of God. And ask yourself this question. How you pray, what does that say about your view of God? What does that say about your view of God? And the truth is our worldviews are extremely limiting. It's only made up of our little corner of the world that we come from. And if we're limiting our worldview, then we're limiting our prayer life and we're limiting God, what he can do in our life. And if we're honest with ourselves, Maybe we've reduced prayer down to a list of requests, wants, and needs from what we need from him. But if we've learned anything through this series, prayer isn't about a request line to God. It's about becoming more like God, seeing the world 
as God sees it. That's what prayer is all about. And here's what I know about God. God wants to give you your requests. He wants to grant your wishes and your needs and the things that you desire. But we have to become the person he's calling us to be, to be more like that. We have to earn that trust. And the more we become the person we're meant to be, the more God will give us. And prayer can help us do that. One thing I've learned about being a follower of Jesus is that this journey is not a static journey, but this journey is about growing, changing, and learning constantly. Take the disciples, for example. These men were not perfect when they met Jesus. In fact, these men weren't even followers of Jesus. They were fishermen, they were tax collectors, they were thieves, they were political zealots. You know what I'm talking about, those people that go on Facebook and think they could solve the country's problems because they watched a YouTube video or read an article. These people were not perfect when they met Jesus, and they definitely weren't perfect after they met Jesus. Because Jesus taught them something, and he teaches us something, that when we follow him, it requires us to drop our assumptions about people in the world and see it through God's eyes. Disciples had to be reminded of that constantly. In fact, moments before Jesus was taken into custody, he gathered his disciples around and told them what was going to happen to him told him how it was going to happen and why it needed to happen. This isn't the first time. This wasn't just the second time. This was the third time Jesus did that. And if you have kids or work with kids or know anything about kids, is if you don't think they're getting it, you have to repeat yourself, right? And disciples just weren't getting it. And Jesus felt he needed to express it a third time. And it says this, Jesus took the 12 aside and told them, we are going up to Jerusalem. And everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. Jesus is talking about in the Old Testament, the writers of the Old Testament, these prophets that said and predicted what Jesus was going to do when he came here, that he was going to come, he was going to live, and he was going to die for everybody's sins. But the disciples didn't understand. Like I said, this was the third time that Jesus had predicted this to them, that Jesus had sat them down and told them, you would think they'd be prepared by now. But like us, they had worldviews and assumptions of who Jesus was, and they just didn't get it. In fact, the writer goes on to say, the disciples did not understand any of this. The meaning was hidden from them, and they did not know what he was talking about. Now I get it. Jesus speaks in parables and weird ways sometimes. However, Jesus laid it out plainly what was going to happen to him, that he was going to die. And it was going to be for the world. But the disciples had this assumption, probably that Jesus could never die. They've seen him raise dead people from the life. So why wouldn't he live? Why wouldn't he just take over the world and run the world like he would? It's safe to say that they had their own assumptions and they just couldn't see. They couldn't hear. And they just, most importantly, they thought they knew. Isn't that when we get in trouble is when we thought we know something, right? but only to find out that we have the rug pulled out underneath us. And this is proof when Jesus dies. Some of his disciples deny him. Some of them doubt him. Some of them betray him. Some of them lose hope because they didn't hear what Jesus had to say to them. In fact, it would take 20 more years after Jesus' death to really grasp what he was saying and take hold and, and put action behind the words that Jesus gave them. To make ground 
in turning Christianity and what it is today and something that we still are able to follow and learn from to help people learn about God's love. And if you're a Christian and you're watching this, maybe you, like the disciples, put your assumptions or things before Jesus before. Maybe for some of you, it's the things that you own you put before Jesus before. I know for me, uh, my worries and fears of things that haven't happened yet, I put those things before Jesus. Didn't trust Jesus with those things. And a big one that I see, and we saw a lot of the past year and a half, Maybe you've put in your politics before Jesus, or even try to fit Jesus into your politics to justify your politics, basically. And we're all guilty of one of these, or we've done one of these before. But I think we'd be different people in six months, a year, if we had this idea of waking up every day with open hands to do what God needs us to do, and an open heart to love whoever God needs us to love. Micah 6.8 says, walk humbly with your God. In other hands, in other words, walk humbly with your God. Open up your hands so you can do the work that God has called you to do. Open up your heart so you can love the people that need to be loved, that need God's love in their life. That's what it means to walk humbly with God. Jesus said it himself that he came down from heaven, not to do his will, because even though he was fully God, he was also fully man had his own will and deep down that he resisted so that he can do the will of the one who sent him, his father, God. And God's will is not about a political agenda or preference or one world view, but it's about making sure people are in a loving and growing relationship with him. And a lot of times when I see people say they follow Jesus, but they're tearing others down because they don't agree with the way that someone's living or they don't agree with their opinion on something, I get sad and I get reminded of this group of people called the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were religious leaders, temple leaders at the time, and they really gatekept religion and, and how to follow God. In fact, they had over 600 laws and rules that you had to follow in order to be good with God, to be aligned with God. And if you broke any of those rules, you'll suffer consequences. And they varied. These consequences would be torture, or they'd be being labeled a sinner and an outcast, even prison or death. They had all these rules, and they really made sure that you followed them. And if you didn't, you were punished for it. And Jesus was the person that was always pushing back on the Pharisees telling them it's not about rules, it's not about religion, but it's about a relationship. It's about love, it's about growth, it's about learning. And in Luke 7, we read an account where Jesus actually goes to have dinner with one of these Pharisees. This Pharisee's name is Simon. And I love this because this shows the dichotomy of Jesus, that he ate with sinners and he ate with religious snobs and he loved them both and gave time to them both. And that's what he was all about. That's how he saw people. He gave equal time to each of them. And at this dinner, there was a woman there who took the role of a servant. And you see this woman, she was labeled a sinner by the temple leaders, by the Pharisees. And I do want to mention that she could have been labeled a sinner for various things that she did that we do nowadays on a regular basis for silly reasons. Like I said, there were over 600 laws and rules and she was labeled a sinner because of it. And as they were having dinner, she heard of Jesus and she wanted to worship Jesus because 
she was called a sinner and she didn't want to be that anymore. And she knew that Jesus was God and could forgive her of her sin. And as they're eating, she goes to Jesus's feet and did something that was normal at the time. She began to wash Jesus's feet. It was a sign of honor, love, respect. But for her in this moment, it was an act of worship because she didn't have any cloth or water or bucket or a sponge. All she had were her tears and her hair. She began to wash Jesus's feet with that. She's probably crying because she was in the presence of God. But then she tops off the cleaning with perfume. She has this alabaster jar, very expensive perfume that she had to physically break to pour over Jesus' feet. In fact, it was so expensive, it would have cost her a year's worth of her salary. I can't imagine spending a year's worth of my salary on anything. But that was the most expensive thing she owned or probably ever owned. She poured it over Jesus' feet. And as Simon is watching this, he's kind of disgusted by the fact that Jesus would even let this woman touch him. And it goes on to explain Simon's account of what he's seeing. And he's, he's, he's kind of just dumbfounded that Jesus would let this happen. And he tries to trap Jesus. He thinks he has Jesus in his snare. And this is what he says in Luke 7, verse 39. If this man really were a prophet, in other words, if this man really were Jesus, or really were the son of God, someone that he says he is, he would know who this woman is, who is touching him. And he would know what kind of sinful life she lives. And this was Jesus' bread and butter. Anytime a Pharisee would open up his mouth and say something dumb, Jesus would get him back. And so as Jesus uh, hears this from Simon, he explains this parable, which basically is telling him that he has too much pride inside him to see that he is sitting in the presence of God himself and he is missing it because he's letting his pride and his assumption get in the way of God's presence. But this woman didn't have any pride. All she had was worship. All she had was admiration for Jesus. And because of that, Jesus says powerful words to her. He says, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. And the people in that room were dumbstruck. They didn't know that this could happen. In fact, they say, who is this who even forgives sin? Because in that time, to them, you couldn't just be forgiven of sin in a snap of a finger. You had to earn it. You had to work for it. But she didn't. She did it simply because she worshiped Jesus and recognized Jesus. She didn't let her assumption get in the way of the presence of Jesus. And they didn't even recognize God sitting face to face, exchanging words with them. But I think it's not only them that can miss Jesus. I think we can miss Jesus as well in the same way. We come to church and we worship. We say that we follow Jesus, but I'm guilty of missing Jesus sometimes. I'm guilty of not having my hands open and my heart open to what God wants me to do. Sometimes I let my assumption, my worldview get in the way of that. My question for myself and for you today is, do you want to see? Do you want to see Jesus every day with your hands open and your heart open? See, it's easy to read these ancient stories and look how dumb they were and look how much they missed out on Jesus. But the truth is, these stories should cause us to pause and reflect and remind us to open our hands and our heart to see the world 
as God sees. I've been a follower of Jesus for 12 years. I began following Jesus when I was 16 years old. And I thought I knew everything. I thought I was so smart. But the truth is, my knowledge was so limited. And I was in a church at the time that taught this really rigid view of God. It controlled the way we listened to music. It controlled the way that we hung out with people, the type of people we could hang out with. And we had a list of people who was going to heaven and who wasn't. And this caused me to live a life with no grace and no love in my heart, but just live by these rules and these laws that God wasn't holding me to or holding others to. And I was ashamed that I yelled at people telling them they weren't going to heaven because I didn't agree with the worldview or I didn't agree with their preference or their way of life. But luckily I had friends who were able to pull me out of that and show me the grace of God, show me the love that God truly has and the love that we are supposed to live with. It's not my job to make the list of who goes to heaven or not. It's my job to love every person that I come in contact with. And it's not easy and I'm not perfect now. But what I found out that I was building these temples in my life and temples can be pretty to look at, but temples are rigid. Temples are unmoving. There's not enough room in the temple for everyone. And most of all, it's an exclusive club. The only people allowed in the temple are the people that believe the way you believe, and the people that see the world as you see it. So you're limiting who can even come into God's presence. What I learned that it is better to actually build tabernacles. And tabernacles were these tents that Jewish people would put up to worship God. But here's the great thing about building tabernacles. Tabernacles can go to wherever people need God. There's room for everyone in the tabernacle. And it allows us to see the world and people as God sees us. Tabernacles are greater than temples. And God is the center of that tabernacle. And God is not limited to one place like a temple, but he can go anywhere that tabernacle goes. Tabernacles allow us to see the world as God sees us. And I want to suggest a short prayer to help us build tabernacles in our life, to help us be able to have open hands and open hearts to what God wants us to do and, and love people. Now this prayer isn't something that I just made up myself, but it's something we see in the Bible over and over again. Um, and famously for me, you see it with a man named Bartimaeus. He was a man who was blind, who physically could not see, but knew that Jesus was walking near him. And he thought to call out to Jesus multiple times, Jesus, 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 with desperation in his voice. And Jesus finally turns to Bartimaeus and greets him, he says, plainly, what is it that you want me to do for you? And Bartimaeus says these short but powerful phrase, Lord, I want to see. And I'm sure it was more than just physically seeing what was in front of him. He probably wanted to see the person of Jesus, who he was. He wanted to see a new life that he could live if he followed Jesus. If Jesus could heal him, he wanted to see what he could become. So I want to ask you again, do you want to see? Because the purpose of prayer is simple. The purpose of prayer is to align our will 
with God's will. That's the purpose of prayer, to be more like him, to do the things he's calling us to do. But in order to do that, we have to acknowledge three things. We have to acknowledge that we've built up a past that can stop us from doing God's will, that we have a personality that can get in the way of God's will, and that we have prejudices, or, or if you don't like that word, we have preferences that help, that make us resist God's will and stop us from seeing people in the world as God does. And I believe this prayer is something if we include it into our daily lives, maybe before uh, you go to work or uh, before you go to bed, anywhere that you choose to pray this prayer, anytime you choose to pray this prayer, I think it's something that can change our worldview, help us drop our assumption and pick up God's will every single day. It won't make us perfect, but it will bring us closer to the will of God. And I don't want to pray this prayer alone. I want you, Active Church, people watching to pray this with me as well. I want you to repeat it after me because I believe if we live out this prayer, it will take the limits off our life, the limits off our church, and the limit off our community. Because when we allow God's will to enter our life and we follow it, it is unlimited, it is vast. There's so much potential. So pray this prayer with me. Say, God, help me to see the way you see. Allow me to move beyond my past, my personality, and my prejudice to grow so that I become more like you. We ask all these things in your name we pray. hope you enjoy the Active Church podcast. If you want to know more about Active Church, you can follow us on our social media platforms at Active Churches. Don't forget to subscribe as well to stay connected to future podcasts. And if you are a local, we would love for you to experience the room with us. Sunday services are 9 a.m. and 1045 a.m. in Yukaipa. See you next time.